It's good to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be doing that throughout eternity in heaven around the throne of God. Just worshiping the Lord. Good to see you here this morning. So glad to be in God's house. I'm glad to be with God's people. I want you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're going to start towards the very end of the chapter in verse 45. John chapter 1, verse 45. If you would just read with me in your Bibles. I love this passage of Scripture. So many times I'll go back to this passage. There's so many passages I go back to in my own thoughts, in my own counseling myself, teaching myself, encouraging myself in the Lord. Uh, Let's look at this. This is where Jesus had just been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And he has disciples. Some were John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, that are now coming to follow Christ. And they're just in that transition period, okay? Remember, John was the, the forerunner, the herald of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to announce his coming to this earth. Verse 45 Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's a wonderful passage of Scripture. It really is. It's very exciting to me. And when I read this, we see that what you have it is almost like some of the first witnesses, the first uh, soul winners when Jesus was actually here. You know, Andrew found Peter his brother earlier. We didn't read that, but prior to what we read here, uh, Andrew found his brother Peter, brought him to Jesus. Okay, and now Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, and and he has this quick discussion with him. He says, "We found him. We found the one that Moses and the prophets did write about." And so that promised one. Remember, a few weeks ago we taught on that that prophet. That was spoken of in in, uh, in Old Testament. Are you that prophet? Remember, even the Pharisees asked John the Baptist because there was that prophet that was prophesied. It was speaking of Christ in his first coming, and so basically, Nathaniel was saying to Philip, "We found that one." Okay, and Jesus, when he sees him coming, he speaks to him before he even gets there. Maybe he's a little ways off, and he sees him coming, and he says, "There's an Israelite indeed, in whom's no guile." He doesn't say. Uh, and this is what we're going to talk about today, this guilelessness. I wanted to talk about it a little bit. And I believe God would have us to lay hold on something here this morning. Jesus did not say to Nathaniel when He saw him coming, you're sinless, you're already okay, you don't need to be saved. He didn't say that. He did say two things to him. He said, you're an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. That word guile means uh, craft or deceit. There's not deceit in you, Nathaniel. Doesn't mean he didn't need to be born again, okay? It means that he was not deceitful. There was no guile in him. And Jesus spoke that to him before Nathaniel even had met the Lord. He was on his way to meeting the Lord, okay? 
but he didn't know the Lord yet. And that word guile also means craftiness, deceit, trickery, or a decoy. Okay? Any duck hunters in here? You set out a decoy. They got the ones now with the rotor wings that, that turn round and round. It makes it even more lifelike. So the ducks are flying over. Not only is a plastic duck bobbing up and down in the water, but it's got little wings turning around. And then you got the guy in the duck line who's blowing the decoy, I mean, blowing the duck call, and those ducks you know, uh, you know, come right on in, supposedly. Not all the time. They're pretty smart. But he said two things. You're an Israelite in whom is no guile. And he says, because you believed. Because you believed just at the first meeting that you had with me, the first words out of my mouth, Jesus says to Nathaniel, because you believed that, He says, you're going to see greater things. You're even going to see greater things. You're going to see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now that's a promise from the Lord. It has to do with faith. It has to do with faith in the living God. And that we, when we step into Christ, and this is not what the sermon's about, but when we step into Christ, into Christ, like being lost to being saved. It's not a progress. There are things that lead up to your salvation, but when you're born again, you're born again in a moment. Okay? And we pass from death to life. The Bible describes it that way. Jesus describes it as passing from death to life. Okay? I always say when a baby's born, everybody in this room, the, the doctors wrote some time on there on the birth certificate, 5.22 a.m., whatever, so-and-so was born. There's a time when we're born again, where we give our life to Christ spiritually, and we're saved, and we go from darkness to light, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And, and our eyes are open. Jesus told Martha at Lazarus' graves, graveside on the fourth day, when His body was decaying, He says, Martha, didn't I say unto you, if you would only believe, you would see the glory of God. Isn't that what He's basically telling Nathaniel here? Because you believed. And it's such a, it didn't take much for you to believe, basically. You believed, and you were right to believe, Nathaniel. But because you believed, you're going to see greater things than these. And it is a life of faith, and it's a walk of faith. And I'm excited about walking with Jesus. I'm excited about the life that lays out in front of us. I'm excited about the Word of God and the future that God has. Yes, I know there's persecution and trials and tribulations are coming. The love of many is going to wax cold, the Bible says. Brother's going to rise up against brother. All these things are still ahead. But we're walking with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we're part of His family. And we're part of His kingdom. And we get to be part of His plan. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing. And so, God, the Lord Jesus speaks that to Nathaniel. Man in whom owes no guile. And because you believe, you're going to see greater things. Now, as I said, Nathaniel still needed a Savior. He still needed Christ to, to save him. But this guilelessness is what we want to talk about for just this morning. Okay, It's a character that was in Nathan's heart, I guess you would say, or in his life. And it is very valuable to the Lord. We'll see it. We'll see why it was valuable to Nathan, uh, uh, Nathaniel as well. It was of great price because it put what it did is it put Nathaniel in a position and to me, it's like almost like a humility as well. That there is a position, put him in a position to, to receive the Lord, to receive what Christ had for him. It put him in a mindset, in a, basically in a, in, a, in a position in his heart and his mind to receive Christ. Uh, the Bible says the pure in heart shall see God. Right? The pure in heart shall see God. And this is what I think is being spoken of here that the Lord says, there's an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. 
He didn't say you're, you're okay, you're already holy, you don't need a Savior. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay? He did say there's no guile and you have believed. And I think this, this is very key. It's important that we as human beings would understand this and see what is the big deal about this guilelessness. And I'll say this, anybody can be saved, right? Anybody can be saved when they put their faith and trust in Jesus. That is, that is given. God's not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. But many people won't be saved. Y'all know that. Through the history of mankind, many people have not been saved. They've died, un- they've died lost. They've died in their sin. Before Christ came, after Christ came. And many people still in the future will still die. Uh, they don't have to, but many will die lost. All men can be saved, but all men won't be saved because many persist in their pride. Even when presented with the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, they persist in their pride. They persist in some trying to cover their sin and hide their sin and make it look not so bad. It's not that they can't be saved. It's not that the blood of Jesus is not sufficient for them. It's not that they're too far gone in their sin to where, oh, they're a little out of my reach and Christ can't quite reach them. That's none of the reasons. His grace is sufficient. His blood is sufficient. His power to save to the uttermost them that come to Him through Christ that says in Hebrews is there. Many won't be saved, not because the Lord's not willing or able. His hand is not waxed short that He cannot save. But He says, you've separated yourself from Me, the Lord says, in the hardness of your heart, and you won't come to Me, basically. And I think the guileless man is going to be the one that's at least going to show me uh, you know, I, I'm going to be honest before the Lord. And that's what we're talking about here. Uh, the man who's filled with guile, or had, and I think it's in all of our sinful nature, okay? Every human means some trickery, some deceit in all of us is going to try to make it appear like my life without Christ, or maybe even a saved man in sin, is really not so bad. They're going to try to cover it up somehow. They're going to try to uh, make it look not so bad. And try to save some face in the whole thing. You know what I mean? To come out uh, not looking quite so bad in the whole deal. But that's not the that's not the way we come to the Lord. And this is not even Nathaniel in this first little meeting with the Lord Jesus and with Philip, his friend, bringing him to the Lord. He, he didn't come that way. I just want to read this scripture. Uh, reading this from Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus heard that, He said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Who did the Lord come for? He came for sinful man. Well, isn't that everybody without the Lord? Yes, it is. But the, the man filled with trickery and deceit is not going to want to face up that that's Him. They're not going to face the fact squarely. Somehow they're going to want to save face and say, I'm not that bad. And Nathaniel was an Israelite in whom there was no guile or deceit. He was a sinner. He's what I would call an honest sinner. You understand what I mean? I believe that there are people that are honest sinners. I always talk about a friend of mine that I got to lead to the Lord. He was my best friend in high school and through college. And then we got separated for about 20 years when I committed my life fully to Christ and he went on with his life. And our lives came back together. I was able to teach some old friends, including him, a Bible study early in the mornings once a week at a friend's house. And, and I was just sharing about Adam and Eve and sin in the garden for two or three or four weeks. 
uh, I always say they thought I was teaching a Bible study. I was not teaching them a Bible study. I was preaching the gospel to them in every kind of angle and shape and form that I could week after week and making, you know, using some different scriptures because I knew they needed to, to be born again. And, and finally, you know, my friend Mike uh, raised his hand and he, he didn't know any of the terms or any of the words or anything. And he says, Randy, I think I need this new birth thing you're talking about. And I said, well, let's pray right now. We knelt down by the couch in my friend's house and had him on one side and another friend on another side, guys that I played football with and, and went to school with and everything and prayed for them to give their lives to the Lord. But he has always been that type of person, even when he was lost, that was to me had no guile. He would have given you the shirt off his back. Nicest guy in the world, but didn't know Jesus. But if you told him, he would listen. You understand what I'm saying? He wasn't trying to hide something. He would say... I commit this sin because I like this sin. You know what I mean? It was just very honest about it. And and anyway, the Lord was able able very quickly to deal with him. He was one of the first ones in that group that gave his life to the Lord. And I believe to to me when when I see this in the scripture that this is the the godlessness that we're talking about, and that the Lord was speaking about about Nathaniel. Okay, sin is sin. Sinners are sinners. All of sin is staying guilty before the Lord, the Creator, and all need salvation which Christ alone can provide. We're not arguing that at all. And all need forgiveness and cleansing by His blood. But the godless man is in a much better place already to hear when somebody brings the Gospel to them. To respond when the Lord's dealing with their heart and so, so forth. They're a better place to come to Christ. They're nearer to the Lord. They're lost but they're nearer to being saved. Uh, when somebody brings it them the Gospel, they want to hear. They want to believe. Okay? I mean, there's a Scripture that says God resists the, the, the proud but it gives grace to the humble. Alberto quoted that from James. It says the same thing in the Old Testament. He gives grace to the humble. And there has to be that sincerity in heart when we come to the Lord. The godless man, y'all, is like I said, what I would call an honest sinner. The godless man is a man who's not playing games with the Lord. With his own heart. And we know a lot of people that are. Maybe we have at times, and maybe we still do. The sermon is for us. It's for me. Okay? But the godless man is not playing around. I'm a sinner. I like, for, I like to fornicate. I like this. This is why God made me this way. But you bring the Gospel and they'll say, I never thought of that. And they'll hear it. And they'll listen to it. And they'll get it. And they'll, they'll be open to hearing it. And I believe that's how Nathaniel was when the Lord saw him when he approached the Lord. You know, I believe Zacchaeus was that way. He was the chief of all publicans, it says. Chief. He was, and the publicans were hated by the other Jews because the publicans basically sided with the Roman government and served the Roman government against the Israelites and taxed them very heavily. And most of the publicans were crooked. And they would take what belonged to Caesar and they would take a little bit what they wanted as well. Okay? We know the story of Zacchaeus, right? He was a small man in stature. They sing little kids, sing little songs about him. Wee little man, right? And uh, Jesus was coming through his town of Jericho and he wanted to see. He heard all about Jesus and the miracles. And he wanted to see him, but he was too little. He couldn't see above all the people. So he runs up ahead of the crowd where he knew Jesus would pass by, climbs up in a sycamore tree, and the Lord comes to where he is. He just stops and looks up at Zacchaeus in the tree. 
And it's almost like a comical scene. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down out of that tree. I'm going to come stay at your house today. Well, Zacchaeus, we know what kind of person he was. Okay, he was crooked. He was greedy. He was covetous. He took money. He took it dishonestly. He took some honestly for, for you know, Rome, and he took some dishonestly for him, and he had no bones about it. That's the way he lived his life. He made a lot of money doing that. Lived a comfortable life. He brings Jesus into his home. Jesus comes to him. And somewhere in the course of that, Zacchaeus' eyes begin to open and he sees. And we're having to read a lot into the story, but I promise you it's there because the Lord says to him, uh, well, Zacchaeus says, Lord, if I have defrauded anybody or taken anything, I'll restore it fourfold. I'll restore it fourfold. Well, we don't know that Jesus even preached a sermon to him about your covetousness or stealing or being dishonest. Or, Look, if you come follow me, you got to give all that money back. We don't know that He told him any of that. We know He came to know the Lord. And Jesus said, this day salvation has come to this house. And He spoke about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was excited about it. He said, Lord, I've taken money I shouldn't have taken. I'm going to restore it fourfold. I'm going to give out of my own pocket and I'm going to give it all back. You can read about it. And guess what? There's a change of heart. There's a change of life. And everybody else sitting outside with their noses in the air said, I can't believe He's going to talk to Him. Jesus went and ate with Him. He can't be a true prophet of God. Well, guess what Zacchaeus was? He was an honest sinner. He was a sinner, but he was somebody that, yeah, I've taken money. I liked it. But now I see it's wrong. I'm going to give it back. I'm going to give till it hurts. I'm happy to give it back. Because there was such a change in his life. And so the, the godless man is going to be that way. I want to be that way. Amen? Even as a believer, I want to be that way. Uh, the godless man is not playing games and he's not trying to appear to be something he's not. I'm talking about a spiritual sense. He's not trying to appear to God or to others around him that he's extra godly and spiritual. He's not pretending He's letting God really deal with him. And there's a big difference. Okay, He is what He is. And He's honest. And He's, he, he's honest about Himself and with Himself. I think that's where we really need to be honest. He's honest, honest about His own heart, His own condition and sinful condition before the Lord. A man with whom, uh, who has no deceit is going to be an honest seeker of the Lord, I believe. I believe that. I see that doesn't mean he's better than anyone else. It doesn't mean he has less sin in his life than anyone else and somehow doesn't need a Savior. It means he's going to be an honest seeker of the Lord. The pure in heart shall see God. That's what the Bible says. And so Nathaniel's a sinner like every child, but when, he, when Philip witnessed to him or basically testified of the Lord to him and invited him to come and see, isn't that what he did? Come and see. Philip went and saw just plain old Joe, a plain and simple guy. Hey, hey, we found we found the one. Now, now Philip was excited. We found it. This is him. Who is it? The one that Moses and the prophets wrote about. This is the Messiah. This is him. So it wasn't just any old ordinary testimony. He's saying, This is the Christ. This is him. He's on the earth. He's right over here. Jesus is his name. And and Philip and Nathaniel asks the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't think he's being sarcastic. I don't think he's, you know what I mean, being sarcastic or deceitful or whatever. He's just asking an honest question. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Seriously? And he says, come and see. He goes, okay, I'll come see. 
and, and the Lord's calling us and He's drawing us and He wants us to come and see. He wants us to come and taste that the Lord is good. He wants us to come to Him and see. And we're not trying to uh, appear more righteous than we are or anything like that. We just are who we are. The Bible says that in Christ, uh, there was no guile in His mouth. Remember? No guile in His mouth. Just listen to this Scripture. 30, Psalm 32.2 Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not, not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now the Lord's the one that's got to purge us and cleanse us of all of our sin. I understand that. But again, we're talking about how do we come to the Lord? How do we approach the Lord? And it's going to be that man who has is guileless in nature. It's not uh, a, trick, a tricker. For he who will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. One more scripture before we move on. In Revelation chapter 14, it's talking about the 144,000 Jews that are sealed for a, Christian Jews that are sealed for a special purpose of witnessing for Christ during the tribulation period. These are they which have not were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. There's something to this, y'all. There's something about this guile and this guilelessness. And so that, that we see the guilelessness of this man uh, is when the Lord deals with them, He's going to let the Lord deal with them. Does that make sense? He's not, he's not playing games He's going to let God deal with him. He's not going to try to hide from his sin or pretend he's not in sin and that he's not guilty. He's going to allow God to deal with him and remove the sin. Now that's wise. Okay? That's wise. Instead of trying to cover it up. I want you to, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. This is Abraham and Sarah. The Bible speaks very highly of Sarah. In, in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith... She received strength to conceive in her old age and, and, uh, and did and gave birth to, to Isaac and so forth and all those nations that came through Isaac. But there's one point here where we see when the Lord appeared to Abraham. Okay, One of the times He appeared to Abraham. So He's out there and Abraham's cooking a meal for the Lord. We know the story. And let's just pick up in verse 9. Genesis 18.9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old. That's putting it mildly, right? And well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She was barren. She had not had any children. And she was way beyond the childbearing age. <clears throat> but the Lord just said she's going to have a child. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself. So I don't even know audibly if she chuckled or anything, okay? She says she laughed. She's in the tent door. She's overhearing what's going on. And she laughed within herself, saying, After I am old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh? You know the Lord knows everything. Okay? She's back in the tent and the Lord's sitting there, Hey, why did your wife just laugh when I said that? God's not playing games either, is He? Okay? 
Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah thy shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. Okay? To me, there's something here too, and I may not grasp all of it. She, she laughed. Then when she was confronted about it, she denied it and said, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. Okay? Because she was afraid. She didn't face up to it. But the Lord knows our heart. The Lord ended up in the end of the whole story. God does bless Abraham and Sarah through Sarah's body with Isaac, the promised child and so forth. He fulfills all His promises. So He took her from this place to a place of faith that she's commended in Hebrews 11. Alright? But at this point, she doubted and she laughed. Then she denied she laughed. But the Lord knows everything. The Lord knew her heart. The Lord knows my heart. If I were to lie to you, to my wife, to anyone else, He knows it. Okay? The Lord knows. He's light. He's holy. He knows. And Christians... Now let's not just speak about Nathaniel, who at that time didn't know the Lord completely. All right? But let's just speak about believers. Believers can do this as well. The believers can deceive one another. Those close to us, maybe somebody at work, maybe someone in your family, because you're afraid of the repercussions for not doing it. Seems like the best path to take. I'll tell a little white lie here. There's some deception here. There's some trickery here. Okay? And so Christians can deceive one another. We can even refine it to where we get really good at it. And nobody notices it. But we just saw here the Lord sees, right? Hey, but you did laugh, Sarah. He's not fooled for a second by it. He's not fooled for one second. The worst, even worse, okay, for believers is that when we deceive ourselves, when we deceive ourselves and deny something that the Holy Ghost has convicted us of, and we pretend like it's not there. Because I'm a Christian, I've been serving God a long time, and I'm this and I'm that and I meant well, and all that, and we're actually arguing in our mind against the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Ghost has already put His finger and said, Randy, you did do this. And it ought to be end of story, and ought to come to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. But instead, we try to spin it a certain way, even to ourselves. What does James say? But be doers of the Word, not hearers only. What? Hear only does this. Deceiving your own selves. And I can promise you, there's no worse deception. We talk about end times deceptions and all these false doctrines and deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils that are real, okay? And God's greater, and we don't have to fear that. But the worst deception we can have is when we deceive ourselves when the Holy Ghost has showed us, thus saith the Lord, and we're arguing inwardly against the Holy Spirit, against the Lord, lying against the truth what we know to be truth. I don't need D to come tell me it's true. God's already showed me in my conscience and in my heart that it's true, whether she sees it or not. And here I am arguing about it in my mind all day long. Why don't I just confess it to God and be forgiven? You understand what I'm saying? That's what's so much better. And so, uh, that's the worst type of deception. All, all convincing ourselves when the Lord has already showed us. And I would simply say, God, help us. You know what I mean? God, help me 
not to do that. God wants us to be this people individually and as a church and as His body called by His name to be a godless people. And it seems like it's more and more rare. Right? I want it to be in my own life. This is not an act. When we're talking about being guileless, no guile, it's not an act. It's a reality. It's in the heart of man who's honest before the Lord. That's where the honesty has to start. Nobody else around, me and God, and I'm going to be honest with Him. And I'm going to let Him do what He needs to do. It's a humility in the heart and mind. It's an honesty in our evaluation of ourselves and where we stand before the Lord. And honesty in our evaluation of God and His goodness and His holiness and so forth and of others around us. It's not pretending. It's a sincerity in our heart that doesn't try to spin things. You ever been caught in something and we want to spin it a certain way? Christians do this. You know Christians can do it. I've probably done it myself. You may have done it yourself. I'm not accusing you. You may not have. I'm simply saying Christians are not beyond this. We're caught in something and we get very skilled at it. And the more we do it, the more skilled we get. I wish we wouldn't get skilled at it. I wish I wouldn't get skilled at it. I wish I'd be horrible at it. Okay? But when we get caught and we want to spin it a certain way to where it deflects the criticism off of us, maybe it puts something back on my accusers. Maybe it puts something on, uh, some, some fault or blame on someone else. It makes me not look quite so bad that you misunderstood and here's what really meant and so forth. And that's a guile. That's a decoy. That's trickery. That's craftiness. And Christians can do it. It can be all wrapped up and, and bundled up with a red bow on it and look very Christian. But God knows the heart. Now you did laugh, Sarah. Randy, you did do this. I don't care if your whole church is convinced you didn't do it. You did it. And I know you did it. And you know you did it because I told you and showed you that you did it. And we can spend our, spend our lives trying to spin out of that all the time and that craftiness and that deceit to where we appear more loving than everyone around us and more godly and more holy and more mature in Christ and we want to appear that way to men or we can really be that by letting the Lord deal with us. And God wants us to really be that. Okay, He wants us to really be, be that. The godless man isn't sewing an apron of fig leaves and trying to hide himself in the garden. So you think about that for just a minute. Uh, it's what he is. And he's honest. And he's not tricking anybody. And he certainly knows he's not tricking God, the godless man. He's going to let God call it out and name it. And then he's going to let God deal with it and forgive him and cleanse him. Abraham, in the Garden of Eden, right? Commanded not to eat from, from the fruit. Adam and Eve both of the tree that was in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He ate of it. Guilty as sin, as we say. Guilty as can be. And the Lord says, Adam, where are you? Adam, the Lord knew where Adam was. You know that He knows where Adam was. What was the point of that? It's the point of Nathaniel coming in the same type of thing. The godlessness. Adam, where are you? And Adam hiding. Him and his wife had made an apron of fig leaves to cover their nakedness because they were ashamed now. 
because they had sinned before the Lord. And he, what does he begin to do? He begins to spin it. He's hiding. He's hiding from the Lord. He's shifting blame. He blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. On and on down the line. It could have been fixed though, right? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet in our pride and in our deceit, we want to save some face and not look so bad. I'm not as bad as them. It's really her fault. Well, I'm partly to blame, but it's mostly her. You know, and, and on and Lord, you gave me the woman. That's what he said. You gave her to me. It's really your fault, God. And uh, and so where are you, Adam? And he's hiding and he's shifting blame. When it says if we confess our sins, I know that you know this, we've talked about it, and you've been taught this in your life, that confession here does not mean simply to say the words, I have sinned. That is not mimicking it like a parrot. Confession means to agree with. So if we confess to God our sins, that means we agree with God. I'm a sinner. I've sinned just like He said I had in this area where He said I sinned. Specifically, I did it yesterday at 5pm. You know what I mean? I've sinned. And I'm in agreement with You, Lord. And I have no excuse for it. Especially as a Christian. I'm, I'm saved by Your Spirit. And, and I, You made a way of escape and I sinned anyway. And so, the confession is, I agree with You, God, that I have done this. And I'm not trying to save face. I'm not trying to deflect the criticism. I'm not trying to pretend that I'm not this. I am this. And I ask You to forgive me and wash me in the blood of Jesus once again. I'm ashamed that I have to come to You so many times about this same sin. But I'm coming again about this same sin and I'm honestly asking you to forgive me. Adam didn't do that, did he? He's, where are you, Adam? What Adam should have said, I'm right here, God. I'm in my sin. I'm right here, God. Help me. I sinned against you, Lord. i got no excuse. I'm here, Lord. God's not going to cast him out, turn him away. There's forgiveness when we come to the Lord that way. If we had just answered that way, we would have found that the Lord is gracious. Amen? And the Lord is merciful and kind and forgiving. Uh, I want to read this uh, Scripture from Psalm 51. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. That's what we're talking about today. Man to man, God to man, one on one, individually, starting with me, me and the Lord, God Thou desirest, David said, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part, that thou, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So the Lord's going to, He wants that truth inwardly. Not that we have the right Scripture to throw on something when we're meeting with the church group or council to deflect the criticism to where we don't look so bad, but honestly before the Lord when there's nobody but you and God and you're saying, God, I've sinned. We see this in the Bible. David said when Nathan came to David, the prophet, and David had committed adultery and so forth and murder. And then God sends Nathan to him about a year later and he says, you're the man, David. You've sinned. And what does David say? I've sinned. God kept His covenant with David, by the way. His eternal covenant. He forgave him. And as soon as he says that, Nathan says, your sins are forgiven. You're not going to die. God's put away your sin. That quick. 
But the deceitful man is going to want to spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it, try to creep out from under the heavy load somehow. When if he'd go to the Lord, the Lord would lift the load off of him. And we need to humble ourselves before God. And He'll lift you up, the Bible says. Humble ourselves before men as needed. Okay? If we've sinned publicly, we need to repent publicly before the Lord. The Bible says that Thou art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that come to Thee and that call upon Thee. So He's ready. He's ready. He's gracious. Where am I, Lord? I'm right here. Okay? The prodigal son. The prodigal son. When he had uh, taken all of his living and so forth, and he comes back to his father after wasting all his living in the pig pen and so forth, and he'd been so disrespectful to his father and unloving and unthankful and ungrateful, he demanded his hair and said, Dad, he wasn't even dead yet. I want my money now. Okay? And he went and he spent it all in the most sinful ways. But guess what? To me, he was an honest sinner. He wanted to live it up. He lived, he lived it up, and guess what? God showed him it ain't all you thought it was going to be. And he was by himself, and no man gave to him, and he came to himself, it says, in the pig pen, stinking like pigs, eating pig food, smelling like the pigs. And he says, I know, but everybody's got it better in my father's house. I'm going to go back there. Now, I'm just don't, I'm not going to go back there and say, Sorry, Dad, I'll go back to being your son. So the son said, When he got home, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. This is, and we know the Lord's gracious. For just a minute, think about us though. This was the right attitude. This was the right attitude. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring here the fatted calf, kill it, let us eat, be merry. For this my son was dead and alive again. He was lost in his family and began to be merry. That shows the goodness of God. It shows how to receive that goodness of God is to come and be honest with the Lord and guileless and just face up to it. I've sinned against heaven, Father, and I've sinned against You. I'm not even worthy to be called Your Son anymore. Just take me back as a hired servant. The Father takes over from there. Of course, He's been involved the whole time, right? But He takes over from there and says, "Not. I'm not going to hear another word of it. You're my son. We're going to have a feast. I'm going to get the best ring put on your finger, the best robe put it on you, take the best calf. We're going to kill it and we're going to have a feast because you're back. You're back. You were dead and now you're alive. That's the kindness of God. How did He get there? He got there by not being... didn't go back home and say, Dad, I was beat up and and somebody robbed me of all my money. I need a little bit more money, God. Sorry about the first time the way I left in kind of a bad attitude. I need a little bit more money to tie me over and really wasn't my fault. You know, he didn't try to spin it like that. He was forgiven. He was, he was cleansed. He was accepted. And so, the godless man is guilty, but he's surely going to be pardoned if he remains with that attitude. Amen? And, and the deceitful man is guilty too, but he doesn't really want to be found out. He doesn't want to be found out. He doesn't want to be busted or exposed. And so, he's going to continue to struggle with that and wrestle with that until he comes to a place of brokenness before the Lord and said, I have no more cards to play. I've got no ace in my back pocket. I'm done, Lord. I'm done. And he'll do that as well. He'll work to do that in our lives. But I'm just going to close with this and bring this to a close. When I think about Nathaniel, for example, this godless man, he's, he's honest with his own heart. 
that he's honest about his own sin when it's in his heart. Honest about his own heart. He's honest about his own sin. Even if those closest to me don't call it out in my life. They're very closest to me. I think, well, I've gotten away with it. Nobody saw. Even my wife and children didn't see. And yet God sees. The the, the godless man's going to be broken before the Lord and let the Lord deal with him. And then he'll really be free. Amen? He'll really be free. It's a wonderful way to be. And can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see. Philip Nathaniel says, okay, I'll come see. I'll come see. And then he believed in the Lord very quickly. And the Lord says, because you believed. And I just want to close with this thought. There's there's a great reward or blessing that comes from this. Nathaniel, because you believed. You're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see the heavens open. Always think about that. that Open heaven. Okay? Open heaven. We see things spiritually that a lost man doesn't see. Our eyes have been opened. Okay? You're going to see the heavens open. You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You're going to see that. He got to see something because of of his faith, because he believed. But I believe he believed and quickly believed because of the godlessness in his life that he came to the Lord and quickly surrendered himself to the Lord. The pure in heart will see God, the Bible says. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. God wants that purity in our hearts. He wants it in our lives. Okay? And I'm closing with this. That, that He wants us to be godless. He wants us... Uh, and in doing so, He wants to bless us with the spiritual things He wants to give us. The spiritual wisdom, insight, seeing things that others don't see, like Nathaniel was promised that he would see. And it comes to those. The Lord wants us to be godless, sincere, straightforward, to let our yes be yes and our no be no, and so forth before the Lord. Don't try to cover it up. Don't deflect it. Let the Lord deal with your heart. Amen? The pure in heart are going to see God. That's basically the promise that the Lord gave to Nathaniel because he believed, right? The pure in heart. And so, I just want to close with that. So, Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name. And Lord God, we read this and and Lord, we don't want to puff Nathaniel up to, to... as though He was someone that didn't need Christ to save Him from His sins. He was a sinner. But Lord, that trait or that quality about being guileless and not being deceitful and being honest with ourselves in the Lord that is so important. And it's important to us as believers not to think that now that we're saved, we can never be have guile in our speaking or in our hearts and minds. Lord, we want to be that people and that person, that man, that woman, that young person that is honest. The Lord desires truth, David said, in the inward parts. And to that man who has truth in the inward parts, you're going to reveal godly wisdom, he said, and knowledge. That's our eyes being open spiritually. That's seeing things that others don't see. Maybe even other Christians don't have the privilege of seeing spiritual truth, spiritual depths, the working of God in this earth and in our lives, God. We want to be part of that. We want to be used by You. We want to be useful to You. Adam, where are You? When you say that to me, Randy, where are You? Or whoever you speak to, God. We want to say, I'm here, God. I've committed sin against You. 
I have no excuse. Nobody found me out. You found me out, Lord. And I don't need somebody to come box me in a corner with three witnesses to tell me that I've sinned. I want to be quick, God, to repent. I want to be quick, God, to confess, to agree with You, Lord. I want to be forgiven. I want a pure in heart. The pure in heart shall see God. We want to see You, Lord. Would You please forgive us? Forgive me for my deceitfulness. And I've learned to hide it so well. Forgive me for deceit that's in my own tongue, in my own heart or mind. Forgive us all. Ask God to forgive you. Tell God this morning. You don't have to come tell me. You might. Maybe God puts it on your heart to go confess and want somebody to hear you confess. And I would urge you by all means to do that. But otherwise, it might just be you and the Lord. And you say, God, forgive me. Help me to be that man. I've got guile in my heart and my mind. I want to be honest and sincere. I want to see God. I want to be pure in my heart. You desire truth in the inward parts, Lord. Help us to be that people, God. I believe that's going to be great value. I believe that will go a long way, God, in our lives and in our church as a whole. If we would be a people and said what we meant, meant what we said, and we be godless before God and each other, Lord, Help us, Lord. You can do that in our lives and in our church. And I pray that you will, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.